A woman named Hope uses a pseudonym often as a citizen journalist and activist leader in the Philippines. She risks her life daily and receives ongoing death threats fighting for women's rights, environmental justice, and labor rights in her hometown of Estancia. In November 2013, Super Typhoon Haiyan caused a fuel barge to smash into the coastline, spilling more than 9,000 liters of fuel and destroying local livelihoods. Hope led her community in demanding economic and environmental accountability. She's the founder of Voices of Hope, a collection of local citizen journalists giving voice to the survivors of the deadly typhoon and government negligence. The Philippines is one of the most dangerous places in the world to be a journalist activist. Several weeks ago, I met this powerful woman with a very soft voice and appropriate name. Only Iraq and Syria have worse life expectancies for journalists and activists. I began by asking Hope how the issues of civil rights, environmental justice, and labor rights, and corruption are all tied together for her. I just cannot close my eyes and cover my ears to all the injustices and the inhuman treatment to my community, to my people. So we have to work on issues of disaster one at a time, but there is also an issue that overlaps on this disaster, which is the environmental issue, environmental disaster, you know, environmental injustice. And there also goes on issues on workers' rights when it comes to the oil spill cleanup. The workers were not being paid properly. Half of the salary that they should receive was taken by the contractor. They were not given proper protection, you know, clothing for the cleanup, and they do it manually. So, and some workers died. So, uh, there was also an issue of corruption. Funds went to the big politicians, the local government. And there is also an issue of human rights violation. When women begin the empowerment, they started to feel they were violated. The victims, the survivors, must not be victimized again and again and again. So all the issues overlap, interlock with each other. The whole community to rise up from that devastation, from that victimization, and to change, have the power to change themselves, have the power to change the community and make a difference. Tell me a little bit about your background. I grew up in a very poor family in the southern part of, of the country, which is a Muslim community. That place until now is the most violent place in our country, and there is a war ongoing, and I was exposed to all this violence and social injustices. My father was a worker, and he toiled every day of his life, but we didn't feel, you know, the fruit of that labor because we are still poor. I have to walk barefoot from my place, going to two kilometers, going to school, and at two o'clock in the morning, I have my mother woke me up to accompany her to go to the market and sell foods, to go to the port and sell foods. And in the morning, I have to go to school. You know, the poverty and the injustice and the exploitation that I saw 
every day just stick in my heart and in my mind. At the age of 15, I joined the child labor force. I work in a multinational corporation in the Dole Banana Plantation. Did you have adverse health effects from that exposure to heat and pesticides at the Dole Banana Plantation? Maybe that's one of the reasons that I have my cancer in my thyroid. The most difficult and the most hard labor I ever experienced at the age of 15. The island of Mindanao is home to Moro Muslims and rich in natural resources and minerals. The wealth from these minerals went to the government, while the Moro population was very, very poor. The local folks started to push back in 1969. President Ferdinand Marcos declared martial law in 1972. 1974 was a particularly deadly year with three major massacres. In one battle, the island of Jojo in the Sulu archipelago in the south of the Philippines was burned. The Philippine armed forces killed over 10,000 Moro and Chinese civilians. Muslims all over the world took note. What did you see, Hope, growing up in your Muslim community when the military set up their headquarters in your hometown? I saw the exploitation and all the violence against women by the military abuses in my, my place. During martial law, there was thousands of military. It was a military headquarters. And they just killed my neighbors, and I can see the abuses and all the women. So I thought it was just normal. It was just, you know, it was just okay. Poverty is just okay. But when I went to college, I enrolled in social work, and I get involved with student activism. And it was the time when I realized that poverty is a situation and a condition that can and must be changed. And all my orientation that poverty is God-given, you have this, when you die, you have the paradise there, (laughs) you know. So that started my activism. In school, I joined the student government. I was elected as a student leader. I joined the school campus journalism and until I graduated college and then I worked full-time as a human rights activist because I believe we cannot change our condition, our situation in the Philippines. We have to change our government structures. We have to change our economic structure. So I took the, the courage to be an activist.
was Song of the Nightbird on a recording of music in the Tiboli heartland on the island of Mindao. The CD is called Otum, Summoning the Spirit. We continue hearing from Hope, a citizen journalist in the southern region of the Philippines, who is holding the government accountable for corruption after Super Typhoon Haiyan. It was the most horrible situation we have experienced. Typhoon Haiyan was the fourth strongest typhoon in the world history. And it was the strongest typhoon in our country's history. And the storm surge, it reached around 21.8 meters high in our place in Estancia. And the storm was really that, you know, you cannot imagine when the wind just whirling and turning back and forth and back and forth and you can hear the sound. They were crying and saying, oh my God, when this will stop because it's just killing everybody and you know, the families are separating and in the morning everything was flattened. There were no trees and the buildings, there's dead people there. It's a shock for everyone. But, you know, our community right after the storm, gather all the debris, gather our children and the family, look for food, but there's no food. So it was total blackout for one week, no communication. All the debris from the ocean were there. You know, nobody expected that they will be alive during that period. Tell me about the typhoon itself that hit at the very end of 2013. We heard that 6,000 people lost their lives. We went to the city, my daughter, because it's very dangerous in the place. So, And we organized a group of people who bring generators. My husband bought generators for power, water, and food supply and organized the disaster. And find resources, food, water, whatsoever, to bring it there to the community, the government. They were not also prepared. But, well, they have all the resources. They have the naval, they have the airplane, they have the money. But instead of bringing us food, they send us military troops to protect the big business. And people said, this is not looting. We're hungry. Where will we get the food? and all this negligence of the government. Hope said that for almost a week, there was no response from the government. So she went to the city to bring back food for her people. Providing emergency, a hygiene kit for women. Uh, that is very important for women, the hygiene kit, because we, we don't have water in the area. Everything was devastated. It's a trauma, even to my husband. I think... It's only this year that he got over from the trauma. But we cannot deal with our own trauma because the people are coming to us and what shall we do? They're asking, what shall we do? It's a challenge as well as an inspiration to work with people who, are, who don't have really social consciousness or political consciousness, but they have this trust in us as activists to, or who were being condemned by the government that were leftists, and now where is the government? And here comes the activists that people believe that they can help. Our organization believes that in times of crisis, 
people need to be empowered. We don't look at them as victims. We have to chart our own destiny. Hope is a threat to the government because she's seen as a respected source of resources and empowerment. Two organizations who have worked with Hope in the past gave her small grants after Typhoon Haiyan, Global Green Grants, and Global Fund for Women. How did you use those funds? We have around 3,000 women being organized in 22 communities out of 25 communities. And we were able to file a legal suit against the corporation, against the government, through the help of the Global Green Grant. And all the media advocacy, we put up this radio program every Saturday and Sunday where we spoke and the leaders spoke about all the injustices and all this intimidation and harassment. They were being accused as criminals because some of our leaders were having this name and picture. And they said, why are we criminals? We were just being, you know, critical of where, the, where those goods went, where all those medicines that was given to us, where are those medicines? Where are those cash assistance? And we haven't received any. So people, through the, the funds, we empowered people and they're starting to speak out, are starting to find their power, and they started to find themselves as a collective. And we organized the women's organization, we organized the Fisher Folks organization, we organized the academic community that was the school where the oil spill, just the school until now have no building. It's an elementary school. So we organized a broad network of, we call that Task Force Buliganai or Task Force Cooperation, where the women, the men, the students, the academic, and uh, some local politicians who are really very supportive of us uh, join in that network in our advocacy for justice against the oil spill victims and justice to all the survivors because we didn't receive any assistance from the government except one kilo of rice that's expired or spoiled. How did the small grants that you received from Global Green Grants and Global Fund for Women differ from the government and large NGO aid? First, uh, the government. Until now, the government have not released the funds for the emergency shelter assistance. The emergency shelter assistance should be given right after the storm, but until now, we haven't received it, and we're still fighting for it. Um, it just went to their pocket. And most of the international non-government organization, like the Save the Children, the Red Cross, the World Vision, Doctors Without Borders, course their help through the local government and even the United Nations. They don't have contact and they don't have grassroots partner. They don't have grassroots organizations that partner with them. So they all course through it, the government. And they realize it doesn't go to the people. But the people are not organized. So people just go there and, you know, and list all the beneficiaries and give all the money and everything. And some were left out. 
but then it's just corrupting the mind of our people because they are not organized. It causes a lot of trouble. It causes a lot of division because some were not given, others were given, some doubled their, their names. So they will just give and give and they will give thousands of dollars to their volunteers. So people will come to them. And now this, like us, grassroots organization is crumbling. How to organize the people, how to empower them, how to, how to inform them that no, uh, the aid agency will not stay long. After that, six months they will go away and we're still poor. So what we need is to organize, to demand justice, to demand accountability from the government. And this big non-government organization doesn't care about advocacy. They don't care. So we organize and they even tell the people don't join the demonstration or the rally because that's very dangerous. So, but because of our determination and the people really have, we have the trust to the people that we can make changes. But big NGOs just doesn't maybe trust us because they treat us as victims and our voice were not listened. I joined meeting with the United Nations just to keep them saying, no, give us the voice, listen to us. The problem is like this, our, corrupt, our government is corrupt. Instead of giving them all the money, you coordinate with us because we are an organization and we know how to, how to share the resources to everyone. And it is a community ownership, not as an individual ownership, but feel in their deep ears. So sometimes they do getting our women leaders because we're training our women leaders and they saw that our women leaders are very active. They just grab them and ask them, will you join our organization or uh, we'll hire you as a staff, we will pay you $1,000 a month and our organization <laughs> cannot afford to, to pay such big amount we or work on volunteer and allowances, enough for the transportation and the communication. But then um, we were able to be, you know, to take or to maintain the organization. There were some leaders that were corrupted. Uh, that's so intrigued in our organization because they were corrupt by all these big NGOs, big aid agencies. But we were able to show today that we can mobilize 5,000, 7,000 people in one day. And they can mobilize that. This International Organization of Migration, IOM, they had this concert in the city. And they're saying that everybody will come because there will be 10,000 people who will be joining the concert. Because the days before, we were able to mobilize 10,000 people in that community, and we were able to mobilize 5,000 in my place. So they had a concert, they spent millions, hire, you know, musicians from, the, from Manila. I went there, and you know how many people attended the concert? Because it's evening, it's 8 to 10. It's only around 100 people. And I said, if they give all the millions that they spend in this concert, they call it psychosocial stress therapy. 
And how would you expect that these survivors will come to the concert during nighttime? They don't have transportation to go there. And they are already tired for the whole day, finding their food and work. And here you are just singing and dancing. And I said, it's what's a waste of money. Because they thought they can organize 10,000, 7,000 people just by announcement. But for us, no. We have to work every day, every minute of the day, going house to house, meeting groups, meeting people, meeting our leaders one week or two weeks before the activity to just mobilize 5,000 or 10,000 people. And it's painstaking when people have no food. And they said, hope we don't have transportation so it's good that we have the global green crop. <laughs> okay, we will pay one half of your transportation and you look for the one half of your transportation. And now they are paying their own transportation because they have the organization. Um, they contribute every month. So we said, wow, and they have money already in the organization that if their leaders will go to the city, will go for the national, they will pay half of their fare and expenses. And that's their own initiative compared to the government and this big non-government organization aid agencies that didn't even empower, didn't even organize. What evidence of corruption did you see after and as a result of the typhoon? Until now, there are lots of issues of corruptions, of shelter house that are substandard. The issues of some development workers were being killed because of the issue of business. So they are making a lot of business. And then somebody will just get into the business and everything just in trouble. And there was two guys that were, you know, killed because of the corruption issues inside these big NGOs, and it's sad. I don't want to mention one non-government organization. They rent this big house in our place. Can you see the contrast? And all around the house were damaged houses with no roofs and no walls. And then this organization staff are living in that place with 20 vehicles just standby. So the people said, wow, why should not they give that money they are spending to us? Because it's just a waste of money. Yeah, it must be hard for folks without housing to see wealthy organizations staying in fancy houses with lots of idle vehicles. I suppose contrast during a disaster must be extreme. บ่นอาตุลคือยูเยนี่กะงัดเด็กคนฮูลุกเนิ่นอะซมมากี้มูลุลเนิ่นอะกุงมินทางอูดุลบึงฉลองดังคนฮูลุกละเซฟอรอว
Mugen, Mugen, Mangai Mikorugen, Nam den Jochmilm to Kugen, Ten Ukilna to Bull, Lenny Munda Untakul, King Kuyu Elm to Kugen, Lerma of Lamgu Hitudin, Di Yalam Guwaludin, Nehalos Gonan Tambu, Benda Usabu Nalul, One Owang Makamahugen, One Lesugaluk the Fulen, Nehalos Gonan Tambu, Martin Loa Sabu Nalul, One Owang Makamahugen, One Lesugaluk the Fulen, Nehalos Gonan Tambu. Ne se bu dang hen ge fuden ma mu gut ma ngai na gam fuden ke lu dan no lem kuluden bi wang kalang au munug o korun ko enunug ma balu no meli batuden balu no gam fun li nuden le ge bak baya meduden mo gut ma ngai te fuden te kangen no lem kuluden sim gulang mi fi batuden te go ma meni la suden Malagi Ebon Coop, La and Duke and a Hogan, Lur and Co Essen Caboon, Clot Lumgot and Lumcoolun, Toot Bulugon and Hadoon, Lum Nunagon Bufundun. That song is titled Hymn of Lake Cebu, again on the CD titled Utum, Summoning the Spirit. This is music from the Tiboli heartland on the island of Mindanoa. This is host Nikki Kaiser. You are listening to KGNU Boulder, Denver. This is Hemispheres, and we're taking a look at activism in the Philippines. What's gone on since the typhoon and its roots long before the typhoon? We're speaking with Hope, an activist there. 
And we continue by um, exploring exactly at what cost this activism has for her personally in her life. You touched before on the government seeing you as a threat. First, it's true that being a journalist and an activist in my country is very dangerous. I lost my first husband, and he is missing since 1989. He was a trade union activist, and it was hard. I lost my friends and my colleagues in 2007 during the reign of a woman president, Gloria Macapagal-Arroyo, where every day two to five activists were being killed. I lost another colleague last year. He's very active in fair trade and giving disaster relief. I have death threats. My husband got death threats. But what is the thing that keeps us moving? I think it's how we feel, you know, being rising, being an activist, and our vision of a society where there will be no social injustice in our country. We will not experience poverty, having less than $2 a day. Seven out of 10 Filipinos are poor now, and we're getting poorer and poorer every day. Being a journalist and an activist, I want to leave this legacy to my daughter and to my son, to my family, and to all the sons and daughters. My daughter told me, Mama, I don't want you to be an activist. I don't want you to be an activist. The police, the military are always looking for you, you know, and you're always on TV. And I said, you know, I'm not only doing this for you, this is for your future. I don't want you to suffer the, the hardship that we are suffering this time. I don't want you to be an activist like me when the time comes, that there will be no women, no single mothers, no children that are on the street fighting for our rights. I want to give you this vision of a society where there is justice, peace, we are treated as human, we're treated as women with dignity. We're treated as a people, not as servants, not as victims, but we were treated as people who have the dignity, who have the worth uh, to make this place a better place for everyone. And I think that's the inspiration, and I cannot just close my eyes and my ears when somebody comes to me, hope oh, we were being demolished. Uh, we have this problem of military coming over and asking that, so how can, how, how can I say no? I cannot say no. And I said, okay, let's organize, have a press conference, even though I'm so tired and my daughter is saying, Mama, Mama, don't. In the middle of the night, a phone call come, no, the office was raided by the military, so I have to say, what? Okay, just call the radio and the media and we'll see each other in the morning. So, yeah, I think it's the determination, the hope that we can change our country. I don't want to die. <laughs> My daughter is still young. But when you are at the front line, all those fears and, hin and inhibition will be gone. All that will come and cover you with the power and the strength that we have to do this or else we'll be forever slaves 
and with the support of you know of the global community it gives us more inspiration because we feel we are not alone in this struggle tell me about the specific threats that you've received we don't usually use the word activist in the community because if we say I'm an activist in the Philippines, mm-hmm, you're <laughs> our new people's army. They are the revolutionary forces that is fighting the government through armed struggle. And they are in, you know, in the countryside fighting the military. So they thought all people who are against the government are NPA. So you're an activist, you're a communist, you're a new people's army, you're a terrorist. So we don't use that word. But to us, I just consider myself as a simple woman, <laughs> a simple, you know, uh, leader who just want to make changes in my community. And it will just ripple at the national level and the global level. Yeah, a simple mother, a simple sister, a simple wife. And I just walk by myself alone. And my husband said, or other, are you walking alone? You are fighting the government and you're just walking alone? And I said, I don't know. I just walk because I just want to walk. But, you know, the security is very dangerous. I've survived three attempts in my life since college. And the worst was in 2007 when our neighbor told me that he was hired by some people to kill me. And I said, what? I was just shivering, and I said, should I go out my house? No, no, no. The schedule for you will be on Wednesday. <laughs> I said, my God. <laughs> so I said, mm. in early in the morning, my husband woke me up and said, there were people surrounding our house. And I said, my God, what shall I do? And my husband is very nervous. What we did is we called the governor and the congressman who were working, were making alliances with all this, you know, government. So they picked me at the house and we slept at the Capitol for three days. Very dangerous. And then another killings. And now we are just laughing. Yeah, we are already in hope. I saw a report of the military. You're at the number one order of battle. And you and you and we're just saying, oh, we make a joke out of it. Maybe it's just, you know, uh, a sort of a coping mechanism. We are already used to it, but of course, we're scared. It's not, you know, it's not that simple when you have a family, when you have a daughter. So that's right, Terry. I think we will win this battle. <laughs> I mean, there's no power more powerful than the power of the people who are united, who are determined, and who have the vision and the principle, you know to change our country. And history taught us so many lessons on it. We're able to free from the 333 years of the Spaniards' colonization, 50 years of the American colonization, three years of Japanese colonization, 20 years of dictatorship, but we're not still free. Maybe not in my lifetime, but I can give small steps, small, small victories, 
small legacy that will ripple all over the world, you know. And I'm thankful for the World Pulse. I would like to mention the World Pulse because it's the World Pulse that bring me here. You know, in 2010, when I became, when I won that award on citizen journalism, out of 700 women who participate in the competition, I was one of the three. And our small voices there in the Philippines joined with the small voices here <laughs> in the U.S. became our trumpet so loud that everyone can hear. So baby steps to reach that goal. Seeing an activist as a communist or rebel insurgent has a long history. Just to give a little background to the violence in the southern area of the Philippines that continues today and started long before the typhoon, the Moro National Liberation Front has fought to separate from the Philippines since 1996. There are now four insurgency groups that have, including the government troops, experienced over 6,000 deaths. One of several groups that represent Muslims in the area has joined with ISIS. Bang Samoro was established as an autonomous region in 2012, but the violence continues. We're pushing for the calling and demanding the government to have peace talks with the revolutionary people, the New People's Army, and the Moro, the Muslims. The government and the Moro Islamic Liberation Front have started a ceasefire. But in April this year, the government broke the ceasefire agreement. They sent special forces in the Muslim territory. And the Muslim forces didn't know about it, that they will go to the territory because they want to catch these two terrorists to bomb Bali. The government's special forces went into the autonomous Muslim region to kill the terrorists who bombed Bali, possibly on a tip from the United States or even working with the United States. He is assumed to be an ISIS member. But the government didn't communicate this beforehand with the people there. That was a few years back. And they said there was this Marwan and so it's a terrorist. So they sent one company, hundreds of special forces. The Muslim doesn't know about this. But week before they were planning, and there were U.S. It was funded by the U.S. military. The intelligence and all the logistics, it was funded when the president was there. So they went, and the Muslims reacted. So 44 special elite forces of the government were killed. 15 Moro rebels were killed and 10 civilians with 200,000 Muslim civilians evacuated the area because of the bombings. So we're pushing for the ceasefire. And with the new Communist Party of the Philippines, uh, we're pushing, you know, you have to sit together because it's we who are in the crossfire. and. Lots of civilians were already killed. And when the military come, they will just harass and abuse women, women getting pregnant, and they just live, you know, abuses and everything, killing children. 
and blaming it to us because we are human rights uh, organization. And if there's the NPA during their encounter, the NPA will come and their soldiers killed. And they said the human rights violation defended the New People's Army. And we said, we're just defending the civilians. If you kill one another, you kill one another, but don't, you know. Now the problem is the military using the communities and the civilians and the schools. And they're harassing the people because they said, ah, you are communist supporter. So we said to the government, you sit together and have this peace talk. But the government just refuses to sit with the National Democratic Front. They don't want, I don't know.
That was another song from Nindanoa titled Concealed Touch on the Utum Summoning the Spirit CD. We get an update on what's going on now, finding out if Hope is in contact with Muslim women's groups in the area. Yeah, we have. Uh, last April, we invited a Muslim women group regarding this Mama Sapano encounter, and she shared with us that it's the Muslim communities that are really affected by all the bombings of the military. Because the Muslims are, have wives, also there are these women, Muslim rebels, and they said, why are they honoring and giving support to the family of the soldiers that were killed? Why are not they giving us support? It's because we are Muslims and we are rebels. So that's the problem. So it's not between the Muslim and the Christian. It's actually the government want to take over the island of Mindanao because of the rich natural resources. There was the dole, there was the Del Monte, there was the palm oil, there was the rubber plantation, all these natural resources that are not yet, you know, explored. And they want to eradicate the Muslims in Mindanao. So I don't know if the government really is sincere in pushing for the peace uh, for the peace talks, but for us we call we facilitate dialogues. We dialogue with the military, and we told them, you know, you should not be here because in our law you are not allowed to stay in the barangay hall or in the school. So you go to your own checkpoints or outposts outside the community because it's very dangerous because you're attracting you know encounters and killings peter kostashek director of programs for global green grants had a question about the cleanup of the oil barge that hit the coast in hope's town during the typhoon after the typhoon i was really impressed and interested in the lawsuit that you were supporting where I, there were oil spills caused by the the storm, uh, but what what you and the communities were saying is that it was the oil companies' responsibility to clean that up and not to put that burden on the government. Can you talk a little bit more about that and where was has that lawsuit been successful? The oil spill it's the power barge owned by the government. So before the typhoon, they just let that barge stay in the in the ocean near the community. When the storm comes, crash all the houses and people in the community. There were six who were killed. It took one month for them to clean up, but until now it was not completely clean up because it was full of corruption. They said that this contractor is it's a contractor of one politician, senator. So instead of paying 100 million, they get 50 million and leave the community uncleaned. So until now, there, there is oil slits, still, there's still the smell. And we filed a suit against the uh, corporations. So we're able to organize around 2,500 people to file the suit. But on the process, because the legal suit was very slow, even though how much we want to make it, you know, quick, but the 
government agency just postponed the hearings. So we have three hearings, and they already postponed three hearings. And we said, what shall we do with this? So we're just trying to really expose all these atrocities of the government, trying to deceive, again, the people not to file the case. There were some members who withdrew from the legal suit because the government came in, they bring the insurance company, and they give 5,000, 3,000 money to those who were victims not to file the suit. And so some said, when are we going to win the suit? So the lawyer said, ah, just be patient, because we need to settle the compensation inside the court. Because if we settle this outside the court, which we call it the quit claim, you know, they will just give us just a penny or a small amount. Whereas if we settle this inside the court, we can negotiate of how much will you going to pay us. But there were people who were not really, you know, they said, well, there's no hope in it because it will take us too long. We don't have, we don't know what if, will win, win or whatever, now we need the money. So some got the money, but others stayed. So just last month, we filed another 105,000 claimants filed the case, and we're still waiting for the court again to call for the hearing. So we said to the people, it may be slow. Yeah, justice is so slow. But what is important is we fight for justice. Whatever will be the outcome, we may be lose or we may be win, but we are successful because we organize, we fight for this, and there is always hope if we fight. But if we don't fight, we're a loser, completely a loser, it's a default. But if we fight, we have the chance to win. So we have to take the chance of winning rather than being a loser. With one of the insurgency groups still active in the area, named Abu Sayyaf, declaring itself aligned with ISIS last year, the United States may increasingly be involved in the Philippines. We close with some gamelan music titled Sendulog. It sounds similar to the music from their neighbors just to the south in Indonesia. (laughs) 